And he looked at me and said, but you're the best guy for the job. And if you believe in what we're doing, then mm -hmm. you know you need to do it. It's yeah. your duty, right? And he yeah. was doing it to kind of poke fun at me a little bit. But he was in a way, he was right. If you truly believe you're the best person for a certain job and you don't go for it, you're skirting your duty, in mm -hmm. my opinion. You know, this is a service at the end of the day. We're not here to have fun. We can have fun. We're not here to have fun. We're here to serve and to serve the mission. The First Responder Liaison Network is proud to present to you the Kitchen Table Podcast, where our guests come share their stories, their perspectives, and their message, talking all things leadership. Now, here's your host, Berlin Mazza. Welcome and good evening, everybody, to the Kitchen Table. Our show is brought to you by the First Responder Liaison Network. The network is organized for the development, implementation, and ongoing support of mentorship and professional development programs, inspiring our youth and young adults to mature into engaged civic leaders and resilient community sentinels. Music and graphics are brought to you by Kai Elephant Productions. And this evening on the kitchen table, we have Chief Ben Thompson, who is a battalion chief in Birmingham, Alabama. In 2016, Chief Thompson developed his department's first mobile integrated health program and shared his experiences from building the program at TEDx Birmingham. Chief Thompson was a recipient of the 2016 Emergency Medical Service Provider of the Year Award and the 2018 Joe E. Acker Award for Innovation in Emergency Medical Services, both in Jefferson County, Alabama. Chief Thompson has a bachelor's degree from Athens State University in Alabama and is a licensed paramedic. Good evening, Chief. Uh, thank you so much for being a guest today on The Kitchen Table. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for being here. Well, let's, uh, let's start off with this. This is the, uh, the Leadership Pre-Challenge. We don't get to do this very often. We've only had a couple of these on the show so far. And for the listeners out there, for those that don't know about the Leadership Pre-Challenge, that's where we have someone that comes up to Bill or I and says, Hey, you know what? Uh, this leadership uh, podcast, this conversation, you have to have so-and-so on on the show because this person has a good message. He's a great leader. And um, a lot of your listeners will benefit from a message that this individual would share. And so we do have uh, Captain Jason Lundin with the Renton Regional Fire Authority with us this evening. And Jason, when you or I were at the Port of Seattle back in December, uh, we were talking about the podcast and you said, yes, uh, Ben Thompson, got to have him on the show. So obviously, I don't know Ben, but you do. Would you mind sharing a, a story or a why out of all people out there um, that you could have chosen to be a guest on the show to talk leadership? You chose Ben Thompson. So good evening, Jason. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So yeah, would you mind sharing a little a little bit about Ben Thompson, maybe the, uh, the effect or the influence he's had on you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I got to meet Ben... I think in uh, 2021, we were both back east at the National Fire Academy for a command and control class. Um, and I don't know if you've taken any classes back in the NFA, but it's sort of a, if you haven't, it's sort of a two-portion class. You have the classroom experience, and then you have the after-class networking social social experiment. <laughs> so I hear. Portion <laughs> of that, yeah. And both are just as important as the other, right? Uh, ben has uh, not only impressed me in the classroom portion of it, he uh, he impressed me in the uh, after hours uh, social time as well. Um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to go back to the NFA a, a few times uh, and I've had great classes, but there's just something special about this class. Um, it was just full of really dynamic individuals uh, who really were motivated and really on top of the game. And uh, even with all these great personalities and, and really strong minds, Ben stood out. And I, I, I've joked with him that uh, he, he, he was a duck. He was calm and smooth on the surface while patting like hell underneath. And he just, he just had that command presence that I think we're all striving mm -hmm. to really nail man it, it's 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 what we're striving for as leaders right calm under pressure and it's just clear he he knows his stuff 
in the team building after hour sessions, he's kind of soft spoken, um, <laughs> but he's really open. And I think he has a really sort of interesting background as well. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, he's he was the uh, sort of creator of this mobile. Can't remember. Uh, as community mobile integrated health program. program. I think it was just Ben and a clipboard. So, yeah, I mean, he started it from the, the ground up and uh, it's he's passed on the program and still going strong now, which, you know, obviously he laid some really strong foundations for that program. If it's still doing doing this thing now. Like you mentioned, uh, he gave a TED talk on it. He's the only TED talk uh, participant that I actually know personally. <laughs> Me I, too I now. He's <laughs> um, got it framed up on, over the mantle. Uh, another, another big aspect of what I know about Ben is, is he's an author, right? He's, mm -hmm. he's done um, everything from writing for, for trade publications like fire rescue one, uh, and he also has got a, a several collections of published short stories as well. And actually, one of my favorite uh, pieces of his that he did was on his first station captain, which uh, which is mom, right? Mm. She was the one who who kept all his rapscallions in line, just like a good officer does around the, around the station, uh, and and gets his head in the right direction. Then, uh, you know, he. he Again, interesting past. Commercial fisherman in Alaska, sort of self-described beach bum for a while in both uh, Hawaii and Chile. Hmm. Um, I can elaborate on that a little bit later. Yeah, uh, but um, you know, maybe perhaps the, the biggest reason um, why I put him up for this leadership challenge is that his department had the the sad and unfortunate experience. Um, that really no leader ever wants to go through. Uh, someone walked into his fire station and shot two firefighters, killing one. Ben is, is probably a better uh, provider of all the details on that. But just hearing how he and his department came together and, you know, they, they not only took care of each other, you know, with the immediate emergencies, but the uh, the more long term effects of it. I I don't know how I don't know how I would what I would do in that situation, but uh, Ben came in off off duty uh, to assist. Um, uh, he didn't know whether he's going to be able to help out with anything emergency wise, or I believe it ended up with him him just being there to support mm -hmm. the people on the crew, but. Um, not only did he take care of his people, but he made sure that his people were able to get on the trucks and take care of the public and continue to, to do the job and make sure that we did it right. So that's a little bit about Ben and why I nominated him for the uh, wow. leadership challenge. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jason, for that. Yeah, a little bit about that story that I wish um, I'm ashamed that I don't know more about it. But uh, I guess we will ask a bit to maybe elaborate on that. But before we jump to that, Ben, would you uh, mind sharing a little bit about Ben Thompson? Uh, who is Ben Thompson? Uh, maybe talk a little bit about your life and career, um, a little bit about Birmingham Fire. And then let's just jump into this conversation. Hey, yeah. So uh, first, just Jason, thank you for uh, the nice words. And uh, it's truly an honor that you suggested me for this because I have a lot of respect for you. So really, thank you. I really do appreciate it. Um, but start off, uh, who Thompson? <laughs> Still trying to figure that out. Uh, <laughs> been with Birmingham Fire and Rescue Service for 13 years now. Um, was a paramedic when I started. I uh, came up through the ambulance. I uh, got promoted through the ranks a lot faster than I expected. Worked at a lot of the busy houses uh, coming through. Just made battalion chief about a year ago. Um, now I'm assigned to Battalion 2, which is our city's busiest battalion, serving the downtown district. Um, you know, outside of being on the fire department, I spend a lot of time reading books, fishing, sailing, trying to do all those things to encourage a good work-life balance. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it's important. 
but yeah, Birmingham Fire and Rescue, you know, the thing is it's it's a uh it's a good place to work if you want to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just like a lot of uh old steel towns. You know, you got a lot of this, you know, issues, got a lot of old construction, um, got a population that's, you know, struggling. Um, unfortunately have quite a bit of people living under the federal poverty line. Um, and unfortunately a lot of bad things happen to those folks. But, you know, I'm proud to be a part of the city. I'm proud to do the work. I wouldn't work anywhere else as far as I'm concerned. Let me lean on something uh, uh, real briefly here, Ben. So you mentioned you rise to the ranks faster than you expected. Can you talk about that a little bit? So what do you mean by faster than you expected? How is that? And why do you say that? Well, so, <laughs> so like I said, I started as a paramedic, right? So <clears throat> I was like a lot of firefighter paramedics. I was on an ambulance and you know, because EMS is such a such a monster in the fire service. Um, you know, Birmingham, like a lot of places, if you were on the ambulance, you were kind of stuck there. And I had a battalion chief who was a really big mentor for me. And during that first year of just running, you know, 16, 17 calls a day. I mean, we were doing fires, which was great, but it was just so much. And I remember asking, I was like, chief, this is this is rough. You know, how could I do 20 years? And uh, he said, well, Ben, hit the books and maybe you'll get promoted to uh we call it apparatus operator. You guys call it engineer. Mm-hmm. He said, maybe you'll make engineer in four or five years. So I said, okay. So I grabbed every book I could find. And when I wasn't running calls, I was at the kitchen table mm-hmm. studying books and just studying everything I could get my hands on. And back then I was able to, to take the test with just a single year on. So basically I hit my anniversary and I was able to test for uh, engineer wow. and, and made it. And I yeah. got promoted. I was assigned to an extremely busy, well, the busiest engine in the city as an AO. And one year later, I was a lieutenant. It was just really, really fast. During that time as a lieutenant, that's when I did the uh, mobile integrated health program. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent, I think, it was about five years as a lieutenant. Um, three of those basically working in fire administration. After three years of that, you know, just I was ready to go back to the field. So I went back and very briefly, I was a captain. You know? Wow. So, and, and to be honest, I was ready to retire as a captain. Um, I made captain with nine years on, um, you know, we can retire at 20. Mm-hmm. I was assigned, in my opinion, the best fire station in the entire city, uh, station 24. Basically got to do everything you could ever want as a firefighter there. You had fires, you had good emergency calls, you had everything. And, um, to be honest, tested for battalion chief just because to go back to my first mentor, he told me you never pass a test. Mm. Even if you don't want to take, even if you don't want the position, never pass the test because you never know what will happen. Well, then I got the phone call from the fire chief saying, hey, you're the guy. <laughs> wow. That's uh, that's awesome. I love and, that story. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was incredible. How important to your development do you think it was to work at those busy houses? I am so thankful every day, uh, mainly because I'm a young battalion chief. Um, you know, like I said, I made battalion chief with 11 years on. Just the fact that, you know, and I, and I was so intimidated by the position. So when I look back, I'm just so thankful that I had such a large call volume to to draw upon, you know, just that experience. So, um, you know, aside from the pride of just working at busy stations and loving it and, you know, being one of those guys that just I want it. You know, I want the busy stuff. Um, now it's helped me because I've got a lot of older guys, senior guys who are, you know, I guess my subordinates because, you know, they're lieutenants, they're captains. And they give me a, a little bit of respect just because of where I've worked. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's been, it's paid off. Absolutely. I will say that. Let me lean on that even further. Um, so you said you went to an administrative uh, position multiple times, uh, both as a lieutenant, then also as a captain. Um, how important was going off a shift schedule, working a day shift schedule, working an administrative staff position in your development? Oh, so I only went to that administration one time. Oh, one time. Okay. Yeah. It was during my time as a lieutenant. Okay. Um, but I will say going to an administrative position from shift, from going from shift to admin and then back to shift, it has given me a perspective that I just didn't expect. What do you mean by you know, that? For, can, you, can you elaborate on the perspective piece? 
Well, what's funny is uh, when you're when you're an admin or administration, it doesn't really matter how hard you're working. The guys in the field, unless you tell them what you're doing, they just assume you're not doing anything. <laughs> you know, so. Jason and I, I are sitting here laughing. We both did time and days, and uh, it's it, it hits home right there what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I tell people all the time. I would stay upstairs working my tail off on just trying to do something. You know, just weeks on some kind of policy or some kind of idea. And then I'd walk through a fire station and some guys with their feet up looking at their phones would look at me and go, must be nice. <laughs> it's uh, wow. It's uh, I laugh, but it's not, I, I laugh only because it's relatable. We had uh, a couple individuals on the show recently and they, he says this thing, I'm sure we can all, you know, relate to this. He says, you know what? I don't even know. I've never been to your fire department before. Never even been to your region, but I can tell you the stuff that's happening in your fire department because it's all the same. Right. So you talk about like, not, not only do you have to do all the work, you have to go tell everybody what you're doing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, oh, my gosh. So back to what Jason was saying. So this call about the fire station and the uh, and, and the active shooter, uh, I don't know the details on it. I can imagine, you know, you could probably work the next 20 years and not see a call as as relatable. Do you mind elaborating a little bit on that call in your experience? Yeah, so actually, it was the day before my shift. And... um I was at home and uh, to go back to that work-life balance thing, I've made it a perp. I've made it a, um, a point to turn my phone off from, from work. You know, we get all the calls sent to our cell phone, but I turn it off when I go home so I can focus on my family. Um, but I get a text message from some friends and, you know, they're screenshotting this call and, and I see it's a, it's a fire, it's a shooting at fire station number nine. One of my best friends is the captain of station nine. He was on duty. So immediately that's where my mind goes and I jump in my car and head to work. Um, you know, it's one of those things I was, you know, battalion chief, the guy that I was going to relieve the next morning, I knew he was there. I knew my op chief was there. So I didn't really want to call anybody, but I wanted them to know I was there. So the best I could do is I just sent text messages to everybody saying like, Hey, I'm at the station. Tell me what to do. You know, I'm here just ready, ready to go. It really wasn't much to do besides wait for the, for, you know, from the guy relief, you know, mm-hmm. RB shift battalion chief to come back. And he's such a tough guy that when he came in, you know, it's, it was basically his first call of the day. I mean, he had just walked in the office mm-hmm. when that happened. And uh, I told him, I said, Hey man, I, you know, I got it for you. You know, if you want to chill or, or take some time off or go home or whatever, I'll work your shift. And he just looked at me. Nope. He, he wasn't going to leave. But I just sat there and listened to him, you know, just he, he told me what had happened. And I could tell, you know, it was it was a big deal, um, obviously. But, you know, since then. It's just been it's just been strange. Um, I will give big credit to my fire administration. They did a really good job giving everyone space to grieve. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a new firefighter, the, the one who uh, actually died from his injuries. So we had a, a, a bunch of brand new recruits in the field who just lost one of their classmates. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and our chiefs did a really good job of making sure everyone could attend the funeral. Um, we had another firefighter who's still off work, uh, who sustained pretty serious injuries. We're really hoping he can come back to work, uh, but he's been home for now. Um, as far as my the, the captain, who's my good friend, he was reassigned to actually my battalion. Mm. So um, now he's with me. And uh, we talk every day and um, it's, it's been a struggle for him, but yeah, yeah, yeah total, total nightmare scenario. Was that uh, the active shooter? I mean, was it just a total random individual? I mean, I, I just you know, don't. You know I, I don't think it was random, but we don't know, you know, it's, oh, okay. it's, they never, they haven't arrested anyone. Yeah. Um, it hasn't happened again. So I don't really know. You know, there's a lot of rumors, you know, how the fire yeah. department is. Yeah. Um, absolutely. You know, and this and this story is so crazy. You know, I have people from other cities telling me what happened. Yeah. And I'm like, you don't, you don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's unfortunate, wow. but you know, hopefully they'll they'll catch someone someday. But you know, it was it was interesting. It was from from my perspective because you know, even our leadership, I could tell it really hit them really hard. You know, the guys and the executive staff. Mm-hmm. Um, you just don't really know how your department's going to react. Absolutely. Happens. And you're, you're totally right. And uh, so prayers out to, to those families, to, to Birmingham fire department and, 
you know, from here and, 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 and forever on. Right. Because this is not something that, you know, year goes by and, you know, we're all better. It's, it's something to be remembered forever. So prayers to, to you guys and to everyone at Birmingham fire and all the, the region around, which I'm sure supports all of you there. I was just going to sort of echo what yeah. Ben said about, you know, it being, he, he was surprised to see how admin was so affected by it and, and what great support that they showed, you know, just the idea of someone, someone came in and, and sort of violated your, your feeling of safe safety and home. And, you know, and, and it's sometimes, Hey, heck, sometimes we feel like we spend more time at the station than we do at home mm-hmm. for some stretches. Yeah. So um, having, having a administration, having an administration that can help return some sort of normalcy and uh, support the crews. Uh, that's, that's really good to hear because in, there are a lot of ad- administrations out there that would be great with it, but there are also going to be those that would struggle with it. And I'm just, I'm glad that you guys had the, the, that sort of experience. All right. So let, let, let's go here. Uh, Chief, one of the main topics, which I love, you talked about to lead is to live dangerously. And I could take that in a hundred different directions, but leading is not easy, right? I don't think it's, it was intended to be, it's not supposed to be, and no, nor is it. So can you elaborate a little bit on your perspective on to lead is to live dangerously? Yeah, so um, that comes from one of my favorite leadership books, Leadership on the Line, and, and it is the truth. Basically, to lead is to live dangerously because when you're when you're truly leading, you're typically telling people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And, and even doing that, even if it's something they need to hear, you have to be smart about when you say it. So you can't, if you just want to, if you just walked around just telling everybody what they needed to hear all the time, no one's going to listen to you. So there's like two sides to it. Like you've got to choose a time to tell people and then choose, choose times when not to tell people, you know? So sometimes you see bad behavior, but maybe now that's not the time to fix it because it's not so bad. You know, it's, it's this constant you know, do I say something now? Do I hold back? Do I whatever? But uh, in the book, it talks about, you know, telling people what they need to hear, but they'll only, it'll only work at the rate at which they can absorb it. You can't just slam it home you know, every time you're, because yeah. nobody, they'll just shut down on you. So what you're saying is you got to kind of know your people as well. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, catering to your audience, to your crew, to, 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 to your environment is key in a good leader. I mean, Simply yeah. having the one way to do things and handle things all the time is just not going to be effective. And, 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 you know, the thing is, like, I think about when I was promoted uh, last year, um, I'd been a station captain, you know, at a, at a busy fire station. I was very hands-on. Um, we trained every day. Um, and I was always the first guy in my gear. You know, I was always, you know, really prided myself on putting myself out there, making myself look silly, trying to do a training exercise because I wasn't very good at it that's just the way I was as a company officer mm-hmm. it was very hands-on. Right. Yeah. So then I get promoted to battalion chief and I'm no longer over a single, you know, crew, single house. I've got seven stations under my belt with different officers, with different levels of experience, different leadership techniques. I knew how I wanted them to be. I wanted them to be like I was, you know, but I had to see how they would act. So, you know, I, I came in, I was super motivated. I wanted to go and tell everybody what I wanted to do and how I wanted things to be done. But then I also wanted to see how things were going to go yeah. without saying a word. So the, the question became, how long do I sit back and let things go? Because if you wait too long, now they think they can run all over you, right? Yeah. That you're just like an absentee. So it's like trying to, I, it's just a, it's just an interesting an interesting thing. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. fun. It's, it's a lot of fun, but you're learning as you go, obviously. Right. So let me ask, how do you, how do you build that? Right. I, 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 how do you build that, that skill set, if you will, right. You talked about how, how, how much you want to be, you know, out there right in front, how much do you wait, you know, proactive versus reactive. Um, how are you building yourself in the, the, that skill set? Right. Is it just, are you just, is it time and experience or what's, how do you develop yourself in that arena? Well, currently I'm doing the old uh, technique of managing while uh, walking around. You know, I try to just go around and just be present, you know. Yeah, be present. Um, there you go. You know, a lot of people are kind of laughing when I when I got promoted because I was picking up calls left and right, like everything, person down, lift assist, put me on the call. And I'm, you know, mm-hmm. just I mm-hmm. wanted that, that 
you know, the tones were going off constantly for me just because I wanted to be there. Yeah. Not to watch the guys or catch the guys, but, you know, go in there, put my gloves on and, and help mm-hmm. and just kind of see how they did things. When I saw positive things, I was sure to point it out. When I saw negative things, I just kind of took note and just kind of mm. thought about it. You know, building the skill set, I, I still don't feel confident to say that I have the skill set yet. Yeah. But, um, you know, just the biggest thing is just being present, trying to count the wins versus just focusing on the losses. You know, hey, that officer is good at this. You know, they may not do everything I like, but they do this really well and, and pushing that so. When did you really lay out your expectations to your crews, to your officers and things like that? Yeah. So our, so our fire chief, that was the first thing he told me was you need to write your expectations, put it in writing and send it out to the crews. Right. So I, I went back and looked at a lot of others who came before me's expectations. And typically they were all the same. There were bullet points that basically just repeated the policies you know, you will have your uniform on by eight o'clock. You will be doing this. You know, it was basically just the policies listed. And uh, I didn't want to do that. The first thing I want to do is instill, I wanted them to know that I trusted them, right? So my goal for my expectations in writing was to keep it to one page. And that one page was pretty simple. It was do the right thing. That's my expectations. I expect you to do the right thing. If you make a mistake while doing the right thing, I'll back you up. I will fight the death for you but if you're doing the wrong thing and you mess up then you've got hell to pay <laughs> you know so um you know do the right thing and then the the last thing i wanted everyone to do was to serve the rookie you know i asked everyone serve the rookie as long as you serve the rookie you're doing the right thing let me lead on that a little bit so you say serve the rookie i obviously i can understand that you're referring to the probationary firefighter how about serving the uh the the, the rookie officer how pertinent is that, right? You got, we all have rookie officers. We have new, newly promoted officers or newly promoted, we'll call it apparatus operators or engineers. Does it pertain to serving them? Yeah, absolutely. It pertains to them. So yeah. I actually got some officers who aren't very strong officers, but they have very strong, you know, engineers, sergeants, you know, right up under them. And, you know, the sergeants will come to me and ask a lot of questions and I'll tell them, Hey, you know, your job is to help that Lieutenant. Mm-hmm. You know, th- make that lieutenant's job right. Make him believe in you. You know, that's, you know, because I, I I tell them if you can do that, then you'll be better as a lieutenant. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, and that lieutenant, I want them to be aware of their weaknesses. You know, like, hey, you've got this guy underneath you who's strong. Don't hold him back. You know, it's just kind of, it's just back and forth. It, you know, everyone's serving everybody. Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. I love that. Everyone is serving everybody. That's uh I mean, that's key. Proof that leadership leading is dangerous is if you consider, you know, our industry's change agents, you know, the, the fire chief at a state and take over department, um, whether it be, you know, Reggie Freeman in Oakland or, uh, you know, what's his name? Gary Ludwig, who goes around. Um, who else? There's a lot of there's a lot of fire chiefs who've gone to departments, stayed a few years and then mm-hmm. they leave. Mm-hmm. Right. Those are change agents because they're not, I guess they're not attached to the city so much as those of us who are trying to build a pension or trying to build a career. Um, They have a little more latitude to say the things that a city needs to hear, not necessarily what they want to hear. So just look at that as proof that leading is dangerous. Mm. Um, Someone, it doesn't mean that people who aren't those change agents can't be a leader and lead dangerous. But in that case, Prudence becomes a lot more important. Wow. You know, if your position is dependent on keeping the mayor happy, you can't go to every city council meeting and talk about how the mayor's not giving you what you need, mm-hmm. you know, but you, you've got to find a way to strategically get what you need. And also, you know, so it's just, it's just something to think about. Um, the, the next part is you wrote, if you aren't tired at the end of the day, you're not doing enough. So, I mean, here, here you are, and you know the, the stations in you know Birmingham. You're running 16, 17, 18 calls a day. So I imagine you're not sleeping at night. I mean, you're going to be tired, literally, physically, mentally, emotionally, all the above. But in terms of leadership, it's got it's got to be it's hard work. It's not supposed to be easy. You should be tired every day. And if not, uh, maybe you didn't do enough. So can you uh, can you elaborate a little bit more about just that constant effort? You talk about constant serving of others. 
it's exhausting, but it's necessary. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So this actually kind of goes back I, when I made Lieutenant years ago, I was, um, I just, you know, it just, it seemed like it was just, it just never ended. Right. Cause yeah. it was the calls and the training and then going to the office and trying to do the paperwork and, you know, you're constantly advocating for your guys to get into classes or to mm-hmm. get that vacation day so they can see their, you know, be at their kid's birthday or something like that. There's just, it just never stops. And it, I've just found in a leadership position, that's just the job, you know, you're there for the people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as a battalion chief, I've got 41 people underneath me with 41 different lives and 41 different hopes, dreams, and problems. At the end of the day, I come back and so many times I just want to climb into bed and I'm mm-hmm. thinking, you know what? There's an email. There's a guy who wants to go to a class in three days and he's waiting for that email. Mm. You know? Yeah. So I've got, you yeah. got to get your butt out of bed and give him an answer. You know, I've always felt that, you know, you don't go to work to rest. Yeah. Right. We're, we're firefighters. What, what job do you ever go home feeling more rested than when you, when you went in, you know. <laughs> can I can I lean on something very briefly here? Because as we talked, I heard you earlier, and you talked about that work life balance, which I love that. Right, you gotta have a work life balance. Um, Tim Grover, who's one of uh, he wrote, he wrote one of the one of my most favorite books is called uh, Winning. And he Tim Grover, he worked with Michael Jordan, he worked with Dwayne Wade, he worked with Kobe Bryant, he worked with Shaquille O'Neal. But he talks, he has this chapter in his book. He talks about balance. And the way, and I know this is a little extreme, but we're going down the path of extreme right now. And we're talking about leadership is not easy. We're talking about that you're not tired at the end of the day. You're doing it wrong. You need to be tired. So he, uh, Tim Grover talks about that balance. And he says it, for, for highly successful people, it, there is no balance. Like if you want to win, balance is, it's, it's non-existent. And I, that's hard, right? Because we do want that work-life balance. We do want that, um, you know, that healthy state of mind, physically, mentally, and emotionally. But he talks about, you know, those extreme athletes that are at the top of their game. They did not have balance because it was tipped in the direction of, I got to work. I got to get to that championship. I got to get to the peak of my 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 career, if you will. So as we talk about this and talking about uh, trying not to be or excuse me, you're working hard and you, you want to go to bed, but you're getting up because you forgot you got to write, write that email. Can you talk a little bit more about that imbalance, I guess? Yeah. So, so, you know, the, to go back to the, you know, the, the athletes, absolutely. They had no balance because they were just diving off in there. Right. But what separates us from the athletes are we're supposed to be at the top of our game for 20 years, not five or That's 10. A good point. That's a good point. Right. Yep. So, um, that that's something to consider, but um, yeah. you know the, the balance for me, I just it goes back to everything that's going on with the mental health issues in the in the fire service right now, and and I'll be honest, you know, I I had my issues especially earlier in my career when I was on the ambulance at the busy busy place. Uh, I had two new babies at home, married. My wife was in nursing school. We were struggling financially. I wasn't sleeping. She wasn't sleeping. There's just a whole lot going on, right? And and I was and I was giving everything I could to the fire department. Every every spare moment I could, I was giving to them, right? And now I've kind of got to a point where I'm a little better financially. My kids are a little older. I have the ability to take time, you know, take the time I have off to enjoy my life and enjoy my time with them. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, I've realized just how great a thing it is. Yeah. And I almost feel like most of the guys don't know how great it is because they're so busy. You know, they're, they're giving the fire department whatever they can. They're trying to make that money to, you know, pay off their truck or, or whatever it is. So I'm constantly going around telling guys like, Hey, come go see your kids, go see your wife, Mm -hmm. go see, go see a movie, go fishing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Life is really good. Yes. Ironically. I mean, you saw a message, Ben in Berlin, uh, the class where I met Ben, back east we we the entire class uh still talks and hang out we got a, a text thread and mm. and we've helped each other out with promotions we talked about different hey do you have a policy on this can you send me this information we just actually were talking about that work-life balance and um the effects that uh you know 
the mandatory overtimes and the overtimes that we take on our own, how, how it's hard to balance the work and life. Yes. And, um, yes. you know, and, and we threw out, there was a quote that was thrown out there uh, from Brunicini that says, you know, fire services, you know, 200 years of providing a service at the expense of those providing the service. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's and we, I think we have to, as an industry, really try and find that that work-life balance and where we can escape the job and then come back on shift, ready to go, ready to rock and roll and yeah. give it all, give it our all there. I think that's, uh, that's the importance of the leadership part, you know, at, at a formal rank or informal great leaders are going to be able to know that work-life balance, but then be able to instill into their members the importance of that work-life balance, especially early on in their career and not have to wait till 15 years on and say, you know what, now i got to find that balance. Cause I think it's, it just goes with, uh, 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 you know, along the way. Let me ask uh, this question here. What is Ben Thompson's non-negotiable? We talk about that on this show as strong leaders, we all have, whether one or two or, or, you know, a few things that says, you know what, to be a strong leader, you have to do this. Or to be a strong leader, you cannot do this. What's Ben Thompson's non-negotiable item? My non-negotiable is the belief that when you are promoted, you've made it. And you no longer have to train or learn or open your mind or listen. That mm-hmm. is the absolute, that's an absolute non-negotiable for me. When your ego gets in the way of progress, you're dead weight. Uh, let me lean on that a little bit. So that came from somewhere, meaning you probably have seen it before, uh, whether it be, you know, personally, you've seen it, you've heard it, and you've seen the uh, the detriment that, that it's had. Um, I, I, I would assume that that was not your philosophy in the sense that when you promoted, you probably said it's time to keep going. This is not the finish line. This is the starting line, right? I, think, I can't remember if it was Chief Castros or someone that said this exact quote, which I love it. And they said it. Once you promote, you are now the least experienced person at that rank. So you have to work harder than everybody at that rank now because they all have more experience and more knowledge than you do. And I love that because if we keep that perspective, it's exactly what you said. You, you didn't make anything once you're promoted. It's time to to ramp it up now. So I guess what I'll say is, can you go into a little bit more? I know it's a, a simple concept, but talk a little bit more about, you know, a leader has to keep going. Yeah. So, you know, the great thing about Birmingham, I said earlier, is, you know, we have a lot of experienced people, right? So we do a lot of calls. We have a lot of incidents. It's also on the, on the flip side of that is because of our experience, a lot of us think that we're experts, you know, and, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's understood. I mean, if you've done 1,500 structure fires in your life and you've, you know, why wouldn't you feel like an expert and just think mm-hmm. that what you've always done worked? You know, they're not still burning now. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but you know, I, I got a, a really good friend of mine, Clay McGee. Um, he was a lieutenant with me at Station 24. Uh, great brain in the fire service. You know, writes for fire engineering. Does uh, talks all over the country. He's actually going to be speaking at FDIC mm-hmm. uh, here pretty soon. A forcible entry. I'm super proud of him. But uh, you know, he's he's a young guy. He's got eight or nine years on at the at the city. Um. He is so dedicated and has and so much knowledge, but I constantly see him trying to convince people that he's right. You know, uh-huh. like he didn't have to convince me. You know, he, when he would tell me stuff, I was like, "Well, I I know you study harder than anybody, so let's try what you're saying." And you know, I'll be damned. Most stuff he said worked. It worked yeah. really well. Yeah. So, um, you know, just watching guys like him who try so hard to get some of the uh, the old heads to. Yeah, you know, open their minds and and try something new. Mm-hmm. You know, it just I see it all the time. Yeah, can you talk about what's really helped you sort of develop yourself, and then um, what you've seen and how you've been able to help develop the people working w- for you and with you uh, at each level that, that you've gone up? Well, to start, the first thing that helped me develop was good mentors, right? Um, I had a, an amazing battalion chief uh, when I started out. Chief Buddy Wilkes kind of took me under his wing, showed me showed me a lot. Had a great uh, first captain. He's now our assistant chief of operations. 
had a great father-in-law who's a retired battalion chief from Marin County, California, who gave me a lot of really good advice. Um, but, you know, in addition to that, they pointed me in directions of books and just reading like a madman um, helped me develop a lot of uh, just my mindset, right? Got my mindset going. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then further, just really just getting out, um, getting out of my fire department, like going to the National Fire Academy, meeting a group like what you and I, Jason, still have going on with our text message that I have to keep on silent because we have so many time zones that uh, the 3 a.m. <laughs> text messages <laughs> we're, we're, we're right. from, from the West Coast people. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the group stretched from from Hawaii to Alaska to Washington to uh, Alabama. That's awesome. New Hampshire. Love yeah. that. I love that. Yeah. yeah, but it's cool. But you know, and but to go back to, I mean, to give the guys at Birmingham a a little bit of praise. You know, those guys who have all that experience that isn't in books. You know, just knowing, just being able to recognize that and knowing when to shut my mouth and listen to a guy who's done it so often. You know, mm-hmm. that that's been a, a huge, huge gift. Um, and luckily, you know, some of those guys are still around. I'm over the hump in my career and a lot of those guys are disappearing. We're losing them to retirement and all the other stuff. So I'm trying to collect as much as I can before they go. Yeah. You obviously published quite a bit of stuff, right? I saw I've seen I've read some of your articles. You mentioned that you listed the David Rhodes episode and he's on the show. Uh, but what I've noticed, um, a lot of leaders um, you know, strong leaders in the fire service and it, times where I didn't even know, but they are, they're publishing stuff. They're writing stuff. I, you know, what typically when you think of a firefighter, you don't think of a firefighter as someone that writes and, or publish, but I've noticed recently the more and more are, first of all, you talked about reading books, right? We've talked about, we've heard leaders are readers, right? They're always reading, they're always writing, they're always contributing. How did you get into writing, let alone publishing yeah, so to go back to what Jason said at the beginning, when I was a beach bum and uh, traveling around, uh, as a younger person, it's, writing was always a goal of mine. Mm. Um, but, you know, I always heard that if you want to write, you got to live first. You got to have something to write about. So uh, I was here, I was 22 years old, and I just hit the road and went west and uh, started traveling with the ideas that I was going to travel around and be like a beatnik Jack Kerouac kind of guy. You know, mm-hmm. writing about hopping freight trains and all that good stuff. Um, and I, and I did, I, I continued to write, um, you know, a lot of fiction, things like that. Cause I was a big reader. I, I read a lot of fiction. Um, and when 2008 in the recession happened, uh, that's when I, that's about the same time I met my wife. Um, I was still trying to live the dream of being the starving artist. You know, I, was, I had the long hair and I was living in California and, Mm-hmm. To, to do my weird writing uh, and then 2008 hit and I couldn't get a job at Pizza Hut I uh, couldn't get a job anywhere um, mm-hmm. so that's how I ended up in paramedic school because I, I didn't have a trade to, mm. to get a job and uh, it, it was so funny because people were like hey you can be a paramedic you can be a firefighter you can work 24 on and have 48 hours off and I'm thinking wow 48 hours off that's a lot of time to write I could be a wow. writer Wow. and uh, that's honestly what led me to the to the fire service. Wow. And then I landed in, uh, after paramedic school, which I loved, uh, I landed in recruit school. And from day one, as soon as I walked in, I mean, I just, I was like Forrest Gump in boot camp. I yeah. loved it so much. Wow. I felt like I'd like found my place, you know? Yeah. That's cool. And, um, but, but the writing for the fire service part, it, it actually came about after I did the Ted talk. Yeah. Um, fire rescue one, uh, Greg Fries, the editor at the time, he uh, just reached out and he said, Hey, I watched your Ted talk and um, really enjoyed it. Uh, have you ever considered writing? And I said, well, yeah, actually uh, wow. I have. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was funny. He actually asked me to send him some of my fiction <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and I sent it to him and he's like, well, this is pretty good. If you could write me an article every month, maybe we can start doing something. And lo and behold, the fire service made me a truly published author. Wow. No, that's, that's, that, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, I've read some of your stuff, and it's uh, uh that, that that's pretty cool. I, I love reading stuff. I love reading, you know, especially what firefighters have to write because they definitely have a you know extensive experience to pull from, and uh, and so um, creativity and stuff like that too. TED Talk. How did you get into doing a TED Talk? <laughs> well, so when I was building our uh, community paramedicine program, 
I was doing a lot of presentations. So I was going around trying mm. to spread the word. It was really, you know, me and one other guy, uh, Brian Blakes, who's still there now, still running the program. But he and I were just kind of trying to put the whole thing together. So, you know, in addition to seeing patients, in addition to trying to get the contracts, I'm just going around just spreading the word. So I was always constantly looking for opportunities to get in front of people just to tell them what we were doing. And uh, we have a TEDx, you know, local TED event, mm. TEDx Birmingham. Okay, oh, that's right. And yeah, and I just saw the app. I heard about the application and I applied and showed up in uniform. And I, I think I'd had like six cup of coffee, six cups of coffee <laughs> that morning. <laughs> nice. And uh, I think at some point I was pounding my fist on the table about how the fire service can change the world. There you go. <laughs> What? And they said, "Wow, I think you can do it." And yeah, uh, yeah, it was a, it was an experience, man. God, it was an experience. So the key is six cups of coffee. So if I ever did one one day, six cups is the key, not no, seven yeah, and not five. Cups. All right. <laughs> yeah, six cups and just be really energetic. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but I'll tell so, you, man, that was a that was a process. That was really that was scary because uh, the, the folks who ran it, I mean, they told me they said, "Hey, this is a lot of work." Yeah. And uh, if you don't, and they gave me deadlines, you know, it was like yeah. a six month process. And they said, if oh. you don't make, the, if you don't make the deadlines, we'll cut you. We'll cut wow. you from the lineup. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, it was my first time to have a really good editor. Yeah. And uh, God, it was a, a tough six yeah. months. Yeah. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet. And just for the listeners, correct me if I'm wrong here, chief, it's uh TEDx Birmingham, chief Ben Thompson. That's probably the quickest or easiest way to YouTube it. Right. Cause that's how you sent me the link, but I, I found it again, watched it probably three different times. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always fascinated for anyone, especially a firefighter to get up, you know, put them, right. What's the saying? Like a lot of people would rather be in the casket than speak at, you know, um, at, 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 you know, in front of a bunch of people. Right. And so when a firefighter can get up and say, Hey, let's, let, let me present some information. I mean, I think that's, that goes with confidence, competence, and just, you know, the ability to share information, which is key in leadership and in mentorship. Right. Don't become the lid. What do you mean by that? So that's a, Gosh, I forgot what the guy's name is. Um, they call it the law of the lid. Right? Oh, yeah. Only... Uh, Maxwell. Is it yeah. John, John C. Maxwell? That's right. Yeah. So you can only go as far as, you know, leadership. The lid will let you allow you. That's so right. I, I try. So I have a lot of, you know, we're firefighters. We have a lot of passionate people underneath us. They all have ideas. They all have things they want to say. They want to try new things. My goal is to not be the lid. So even if I know it's not going to go anywhere. I don't want it to stop with me. Mm -hmm. So I'll take it up. I'll take, I'll take their concerns up. I'll take their questions up. I will fight on their behalf, even if I know I'm going to lose. Mm. And because they need to know that I'll do it, you know, and, and that was something I learned really as a captain, because I had a lot of guys with a lot of concerns and issues. And, uh, and I knew, you know, Hey, it's not going to change, but you know yeah. what? But I didn't yeah. say that. I said, I'll take it. Yeah, And, you know, I would write a, a, a very strongly worded email yeah. or, or I'd make a phone call in their presence and I'd let them, you know, listen to me. And wow. then I'd look at them and say, and so then when we got the no, they could accept it better. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was just one of those things. It was like, Hey, we tried and they yeah. knew I tried. So, yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's powerful to, to, to take something even that you knew was either going to fail or get shot down. You still took it up anyway. Because you wanted your 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 crew, your the people that worked for you and with you to to know that you had their back and that you you know were going to take you know concerns and or you know suggestions seriously and uh, I, I that that that's that's powerful. I, I can tell you how many times that you know ideas around at the coffee table or you know even at at the committee level that just die right there because they're never taken up. They're never oh that'll never work, and so it dies right there. Well, I mean if maybe if you did the odds. Right. I used to be a gambler. I don't anymore for, for many reasons, but you know, you take 20 things up and even 20 things that are, so to speak, not going to, not going to, not going to pass, you know, one or two of them might one or two that would otherwise never even get looked at. If you took a philosophy of oh, that'll never work, I won't take it up. Um, but yeah, the answer is always no. If you don't ask the question. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, like, like golf, you know, every putt that's short never goes in. So you got to get it there, bring it up and some of them will, will drop. All right, let's go to rapid fire. This is where uh, listeners just uh, pop off your coffee real quick. And this is where we ask our guests to give a quick answer um, and some tips for, for leaders to start doing today just to grow themselves, uh, you know, on, the, on their leadership journey. So uh, the first part here is chief favorite book, 
leadership based that is? Yeah. So for favorite book, I, I guess I may have gone a little different route I'm with a fictional novel called Matterhorn by Carl Marlanti. Marlantes. It's okay. a uh, it's a novel about a Vietnam. It's Carl Carl Marlantes was a, was a Marine veteran in Vietnam. It took him thirty years to write this novel. The reason why I love it so much is because it's you know based on his life, obviously as a lieutenant, a new lieutenant in the field. But he does a really good job of everything that happens. You see it from all the different levels of leadership. So like he's given an order and you see him on the ground and how he's dealing with his troops. And then it goes up the chain and you get to see what everyone's concerns are and what everyone's uh, motivations are, I guess, at different levels. Right. Mm. So uh, on his on on his 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 drive is to do the right thing, but to get the men on his side. And as you go up, you know, the motivations change to I want to get promoted. Or, wow. you know, just it, it's just really, really good. It does a good job of showing perspective at yeah. different levels of leadership. Oh, I love that. Thank you. How about favorite quote or favorite phrase? So currently my favorite quote um, is action carries its own authority. Hmm. So that's that's a, a, a quote out of a uh, it's actually a book on writing written by Chuck Palnick, the, the guy who wrote Fight Club. OK, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it. it <laughs> It's, it's a context for something. It's it's about writing mainly, but if you just look at it, action carries its own yeah. authority and think about it, my God, there's so much truth in that. Yep. You know, yeah, it's great. You know, like when things start going, you know, if you don't stop them, they got the authority to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I love it, it just, I, I think about it from a lot of different angles, but, you know, yeah. mainly, but I'm sorry, I could go all day about it. No, I love that. Action speaks louder <laughs> than words. Action carries its own authority. I love it. All right. How about this early leadership lesson that you learned? A promotion doesn't erase who you were. If you were a lazy firefighter, the troops will always remember. What was it? What was it? Is uh, someone said it earlier on this show, not this show, but a show earlier. It was, I think again, I think it was Chief Castro's that said it. It was your promotion um, began, you know, the day you were hired. It's like you were, you know, it's not, you know, you get promoted. Now you got to start being professional. No, you were supposed to be professional the entire time. And that led you to getting that promotion. So how about latest leadership lesson that you learned? So the latest leadership lesson is the tactic of leading with questions rather than orders takes a longer, but the payoff is much greater hmm. because questions lead to discussions and discussions lead to consensus. That's the way I like to lead. I like to lead on consensus. To, to go back to, I, I don't know if this is in the Seven Habits for a Highly Effective People book, I, or maybe I made it up, I don't know. But people always talk about uh, how to handle conflict, and they say use the win-win concept. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like the, the win-win-win concept. There you, go. There you, go. you win, I win, and the organization wins. There you go. I like that. You know, that's If you can do that, then you're always going down the right path. Uh, how about this? Complete the following sentence. I wish I knew blank when I was a younger firefighter. Uh, I wish I knew how good I had it. What do you mean? Things were. What do you mean? Well, so I told you my, my first years, I was on the ambulance at a very busy fire station. Um, and I was, you know, gung-ho and trying to get promoted and get off the ambulance and, and move on. But at, when I look back on the time, I was surrounded by the greatest firefighters I've ever worked with. Mm -hmm. um, I was at a battalion chief station. Battalion chief was great. Captain on our shift was a character. The AO was a experienced guy, exactly what you want out of one of those folks, you know, kind of grizzled, disgruntled, but just full of wisdom. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, uh, mm -hmm. and the firefighters on the back were just so good at just getting in there and putting fires out and mitigating emergencies. They were calm you know, and, and my partner on the ambulance is probably one of my best friends in the fire department, you know, and, that, and that's when we met. So yeah. just those first years, they were just, I was so just tired and, you know, <laughs> disgruntled at times. But when I look back, that was just like the most fun I ever had. Well, I'm going to uh, lean on something. I want to pause here for a minute before we move to the next question is uh, I've heard this a lot. I heard it from you just now. I heard it from, from so many great leaders in the fire service and other industries they, 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 a lot of them have said exactly what you just said. You know, they were on a crew 
best crew ever, bet, you know, awesome, you know, apparatus operator, awesome third, you know, working in a big house with, you know, medic crew, battalion, whoever it was, was on the best crew having the time of their life and they promoted. So I guess my question is this, you're having the time of your life, you're with the people that you, you know, that love, you're with family, but those individuals ended up promoting. And I know the answer to this, but I want to get to, to see if your answer lines up with what I'm thinking. What, uh, you you left that awesome environment of being around the people that you love and having a great time in your life. Why is that? Huh. Well, I to be honest, it goes back. This sounds corny, but uh, it's duty. Mm -hmm. um, I had a friend who's no longer with us, um, passed away a few years ago, but <laughs> he used to challenge me all the time. He, he wanted me to be a paramedic instructor. He was the program director and he wanted me to be a paramedic instructor with him I kept saying man I, I don't know I don't have time and he looked at me and said but you're the best guy for the job and if you believe in what we're doing then mm -hmm. you know you need to do it it's yeah. your duty right and he yeah. was doing it to kind of poke fun at me a little bit but he was in a way he was right if you truly believe you're the best person for a certain job and you don't go for it you're skirting your duty in mm -hmm. my opinion you know this is a service at the end of the day we're not here to have fun we can have fun. We're not here to have fun. We're here to serve and to serve the mission. <laughs> a second ago, I said that um, I, I think I was going to be able to know your answer. You you said the answer that I was thinking in a way better way. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it, right? Because I, what, what I was going to go with it was was you know you you just knew that uh, you you were going to have to leave your comfort zone, which we we've talked about on the show a lot. Leave that comfort area because so you can grow in other areas, right? If you're having a time of your life and you're content. You're no longer growing. You talked about, you know, you got to keep going, right? When you, uh, you just, leadership is not stagnant. It keeps going. So I was going to say you, you put yourself out there because you want to push yourself to continue to grow. You said it in a much more sophisticated uh, way. And you mentioned duty and this is, you're in a, I love that. This is, a, you're in, we're in a service-based industry and the mission, it's, it's the duty. And if, if it's, it's because you're the next person to step up for that position, well, it, you're the next up and it's best for the organization, which ultimately is best for the community that you serve. So uh, thank you for that, because that was a, a much more philosophically uh, better answer than what I was going to say you were going to say. So thank you. <laughs> okay, here we go. Tips. Tips for a new firefighter, right? There's a new firefighter listening in, could be a recruit, probationary firefighter, someone new. What's something that you would uh, suggest or, or a tip for them to start doing today to grow as leaders? Uh, you know, the, the first thing you gotta do is just uh, shut up and listen and be present. You know, one of the best things I did was I never left the front of, front of the house. I was always up front until the watchman told me to go to bed. You know, mm -hmm. I was always up front in the day room, in the kitchen, in the office, just listening, mm -hmm. just, just listen to people talk. That's the best thing you can do as a new firefighter, because there's just, I don't know, there's just so many things you can learn from that. So I know it's, it's probably a tired old adage, you know, just listen, but it is the truth. It's the yeah. best thing you can do. Yeah. And I will say this, uh, out of, out of uh, you know, the, the guest speakers that we've had on the show, the leaders that have been here, all of them have said some form of what you just said right there is listening early on, absorbing the knowledge, soaking it in, being present, being curious at all times is, so I, I guess it goes without saying to all the listeners, you know, when you're newer and even when you're not new, listening is a, is a key characteristic in your success. All right. How about for the emerging leader? This could be an aspiring company officer. could be a new company officer, someone, you know, five, 10 years on the job. What's something that they could do to grow as leaders? Well, so the, the tip I would give everybody is don't go in the first day guns blazing and making a bunch of declarations. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Go in and just get to know everybody first. The thing about declarations is you got to stick to them and you never know what you're going to need to do until you've been there for a little while. So hmm. if you walk into a place and say, we're going to train every day, you better train every day. You can't hmm. say we're going to train every day and then decide, oh, wait a minute, I've got to spend a week working, catching up our hydrants. You know, uh, yeah. in, the, in the record system now you've broken your promise yeah so false promises. they've already lost their trust in you so you know that's that's my biggest tip um for new officers is just you know just people believe what you do not what you say mm -hmm. so just go in and do that's so simply thank you how about senior leaders or organizations this is uh 
could be chief officers, the fire chief himself. Uh, what's something those individuals could do to continue, right? We're talking about continuing to grow as leaders. So I, this is a tip for myself because I'm yeah. a new chief officer. So I, I'll take a quote from leadership on the line. And I said it earlier, change can only happen at a rate your people can absorb. Mm. So you can't change everything in a day. Best thing you do is identify our priorities and set the small goals and don't move on until you meet them. Don't just keep throwing stuff at people constantly, you know, because nothing will happen. Mm. You, you know, you got to just slowly go. My, so my father-in-law, <laughs> this is something I've carried with me for a long time. My father-in-law told you he's a retired battalion chief from Marin County. Mm -hmm. um, really, really good fire department brain, leadership brain. He told me, Ben, he said, uh, change is like a rock. <laughs> it, it change is like a rock tied to a rubber band tied to a bullfrog's back leg. <laughs> Have you ever heard this? No, but I, I'm imagining this right now and I know where you're going with it. So he says, if the bullfrog crawls along the ground really slow, yeah. he can take that rock a long way. But if he gets impatient, and takes a big leap, the rock will stand up straight up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I love this. This is awesome. And I'm telling you, you watch it all the time. People try to do it too quick. It ends yeah. up straight up their butt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere. Like you said, it don't go anywhere. It dies. Slow progress. What's the thing is, you know, one percent improvement every day is still improvement after 10 years versus shooting for, you know, you know, for everything on day one, which ninety nine percent of the time it goes nowhere. So Thank you for that analogy. That's that's awesome. <laughs> that's a new one for me. Yeah. <laughs> the bullfrog. We'll call it the bullfrog analogy by, by Ben yeah. Thompson. I love hey, that. If, if, hey, if you tell that story out there, they got to do it with a southern accent. Oh, shoot. I don't have that. <laughs> I don't have that. Dang it. I'll have to have one of those uh, those microphone things that could change your, you know, we'll use AI or something. I'll say it and then just, you know, here you go. Check this out. Auto-tune you in a southern accent. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the, southern, the, southern, the southern spin. <laughs> So Berlin, one one thing to go back to the the yeah. question you had for Ben with yeah. um, advice for new leaders. Yes, yeah. I got a point, and I'm going to sort of yeah, 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 get it to a roundabout uh, fashion. Clean the shitters. Every day, we as a crew clean the station. We take care of chores uh, as as it's part of uh, taking care of our house. And part of uh, being respectful for the people who you work with who aren't there, the, the shift coming in, right? Cleaning the heads is the dirtiest job out of all of it. And if you dive right in and you take that, you're being you're showing that you that nobody is above doing that, and you show humility and sort of a, a humbleness. So. Clean the shitters. You're you're doing the the dirtiest job that you could ask somebody to do. Nothing's beneath you. It, it's a little it's a little stupid thing, you know. At at the end of the day, it's the chores are going to get done either way. Yeah. But if if you can step up and show that you your crew that hey, I don't think I'm too good for this because yeah. I, I I in my career I've seen that in officers who. Uh, they, we're not going to come out for for the rig checks because mm -hmm. you know I, I've got a couple emails to do, but you do that, it's a great step in showing that you're one of the crew, and you're not going to ask anybody to do something that you wouldn't do. Yeah. So we did the leadership pre challenge, and that's how we're here today. Thank you again, uh, Jason, for this pre challenge and having been on the show. So. Uh, this leadership conversation is exactly that. It's a conversation that we hope never ends. It continues and it goes as far and wide as it possibly can. So we're at the leadership challenge piece now. Uh, Chief, uh, is there someone else out there that you would like to formally uh, call out or challenge on the kitchen table to come talk leadership in a future episode? I could give you a, a list long enough to fill a book. Um, <laughs> we had one guy do that, <laughs> literally on the show. He went about 30 deep. <laughs> like, no, no joke but uh we'll take any uh challenge that you'd be willing to publicly uh call out on the show well so it, it, you know I, is there a rule against it being somebody from my own department no no and it's it's yeah. it's it's totally it's your it's your it's your rule your call we'll uh 
we'll email this individual if uh, with your permission, of course. So, so I have to, I have to challenge my, my really good friend. Uh, he's a fire captain in Birmingham fire, Stephen cook. Oh, there you go. He's also <laughs> our local union president. Um, Stephen and I, you know, my wife likes a kid, you know, we got a little bromance going because we talk so much, but uh, <laughs> he is probably one of the smartest guys I know in the fire service. He, we, I, I'm planning to run his campaign when he runs for Senate. So, there you go. I, I'm just kidding. I hope he would. <laughs> hey, I was saying maybe, but, maybe you're not, <laughs> but, uh, but, but he's, he's done a really good job. Um, you know, not just, I mean, he's a great leader, um, but you know, his position with the union has put him in some really interesting spots, you know, because he's kind of had to be an, you know, intermediary between the uh, new administration and a lot of angry firefighters. Um, he's definitely taking things up that he knows they're going to lose, you know, mm -hmm. but he does it because he knows, you know, how important it is. Um, I, he just, I would, I would, I challenge him because I want to hear what he would say to your questions. Mm. Um, he's one of those guys who works nonstop behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, he's not published. Um, he's not, you know, doing a lot of interviews and stuff outside of things that are with the union, but he has a lot to say. Yeah. And I think we would, we would, it would do us all good to hear what he has to say. So I challenge you, Captain Stephen Cook. Thank you so much. That's uh that is awesome. We'll reach out to Stephen Cook at a later time. And uh, so I'll tell you what, before we close, how about this lasting leadership thoughts by Battalion Chief uh, Ben Thompson before we close today on the kitchen table? Uh, the lasting leadership thoughts. So I wrote this down. So the fire, the fire service is a calling, but it's not your identity. So while you're here, give it all you got. But when you're not, go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> um, or golfing. There you go. I yeah. Like <laughs> it make a life outside the fire service because no matter who you are or how important the fire service is going to go on without you. Mm -hmm. So you better be able to go on without it. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's just the best thing I can say to, to anybody. I think that's, that's um, probably the best advice any of us listening can hear. Uh, thank you everybody for tuning in today to the kitchen table. We truly hope that you found this time valuable. We hope that we've inspired you to take action to lead and to spread the leadership conversation. Till next time, be safe, be intentional, and stay curious. Yeah.